Your Partner in Success Radio is a free business podcast with host Denise Griffiths. It's all about great stories, conversation, and context to help you move your business and life forward with actionable tips and advice from her guest experts. To listen and subscribe, just find us on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you consume your podcasts. Welcome to Partner in Success Radio. My guest today is founder and CEO at Stage Connect. Now, this is a production-grade remote, <clears throat> excuse me, remote audience interaction software that lets presenters or performance performance. Hang on a second, I need to cough. I'm sorry. You know, Autumn, your voice never works right. So this software lets presenters or performers on stage see, hear, and interact with their entire remote audience, which is huge. We need that. So he joins me today, Cole Morgan joins me today to talk about repairing the human connection in virtual and hybrid events. He says that the move to virtual events was inevitable due to COVID, but the speed at which the shift happened simply just broke things. So comfortable or not, event professionals had quite a learning curve when the pandemic hit, and virtual events and hybrid events already existed prior to that, but he says that now they will continue as a standard. Cole and his company have created a meaningful way to bring all of these people on stage and allow them to truly connect with the presenters, speakers, everybody. It's important, and that's why I'm repeating that. So, Cole, welcome to your partner in Success Radio. It's good to have you here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Great to be here. Listen, you were introduced to me by a friend of ours, Cindy Wrightson, and if I'm not mistaken, you two know each other because you both have worked with Tony Robbins. Is that about right? Yeah, yeah, we've worked together for for many, many years across many many shows and many wonderful clients. But but yeah, I think we met on a um, on a on a production for Tony Robbins. Oh, I don't know, could have been eight years ago. That's what she said. She couldn't remember either. She said it's been a long time, and you guys have done some really wonderful things together. Yeah, she is absolutely one of my favorite people. Every time I, I get on site to a production and I, I look over. Uh, and I and I see that she's there too, working it. I just I, yeah, I, it, it's the the best part of the production for sure. Oh, I'll tell her you said that. Listen, tell us a bit about you and your entrepreneurial journey because I think that's where so much of what we're talking about on this particular podcast is where things start. Why are you the entrepreneur that you are today, and what kind of got you moving towards that direction when you were young, when you were you know, teenager, how did this happen? Yeah. So, you know, when I was, when I was very young, you know, I would ride around in the pickup truck with my father who owned a, uh, a local landscaping company. And, uh, you know, it's funny, you started out speaking about Tony Robbins and that's kind of where, kind of where my journey started. I'd ride around in the truck at, you know, 10, 12 years old and, and he'd play the old tapes, the Unleash the Power Within tapes or whatever the, whatever that first audio program was. And uh, I listened to those between job sites and, and help him work on, on different things. And when I was about 14 years old, I had the idea that I wanted to have my own company. And um, you know, like my father and his father and his father were kind of a family of, of entrepreneurs, um, all the way back to, to Captain Morgan, uh, who's actually a relative of mine. So I, I feel like that, that pirate, that entrepreneurial oh. strikeout on your own 
uh, personalities been in our blood for a while. You couldn't avoid it. There's no yeah, way to yeah. walk away from that. <laughs> Understood. It, it, exactly. So I you know, started my first company when I was 14. I bought a lawnmower um, with all the money I'd saved up working for my father, but obviously I couldn't drive at 14. So I ended up hiring, I bought a, a mower and a trailer, and then I hired someone with a car to drive me around. And, and I charged just enough to be able to afford to pay that person um, to drive me and use their car um, while also mowing lawns. So it's, um, yeah, it's, it's been quite an interesting journey from mowing lawns to you know, the CEO of a, of a new startup. Um, but yeah, I really kind of carry that sentiment with me throughout my whole career that, you know, only forward, find a solution, adapt, overcome. Um, I, some people would call it being stubborn, but I don't know. I just, I, I see a problem that needs to be solved and I, I can't, I can't quit until it is. And see, I love that you started your first business with no profit at all not even you know there was no way in the world you were going to make money but I suspect that you learned an awful lot about the process of hiring and firing and you know getting customers and clients so that's a great start absolutely Absolutely. too bad that you didn't make any money though that's never (laughs) (laughs) we all do it we all do it you know, thinking back, I think I made just enough money for over a whole summer to buy a video camera back when the Apple store sold like actual real cameras. And uh, it's kind of funny that that was probably the transition that I went from, you know, my, my father used to call it digging in the ground for quarters, you know, landscaping, lawn mowing, that kind of thing to, to the tech world. So, yeah, it was definitely interesting. My first business it helped me make that first transition into into my first piece of tech that really, you know, spawned my love of video and, and web and technology. So I have to ask, what did you do with that camera? Did you create products? Did you, what was that journey like? Oh, I, I wish I had a better answer there. I think, I think really what the benefit of that was is that it, it taught me video editing. It, it taught me, you know, something that was very, uh, I guess, kind of advanced at the time for whatever that was. 1999 or 98 it was you know very the IMAX had just come out maybe it was 2001 um and uh yeah I you know I learned that I could pick up something I had no you know no knowledge about and very very rapidly learned that um and, and really dove headfirst into the into that video world so I don't think I made anything worthwhile with the camera but but it was really you know falling in love with um with technology, I think was really what that did. Um, and, and from there, just to kind of complete the, the, that gap from 14 to 33, um, you know, I started my career in, uh, in reality television and film, obviously live events with, with Tony Robbins. You know, I was, um, I was the main room manager uh, for, for Tony Robbins global events for two years when I, from 20 to 21. Um, so, you know, doing this, working in reality TV, uh, and eventually running a web agency. So looking back, live events plus film or TV uh, plus web all kind of means live streaming, right? It, it combined every single aspect that I was passionate about and experienced with. Um, so I think that that whole career really, really set me up to, to launch Stage Connect. It sounds like you owe your dad a big old thank you. 
I, I really do. I really do. That, that, and he bought us tickets to, to go see Tony Robbins in 2010, kind of, you know, one night at the breakfast bar. Hey, do you want to go see Tony? It's two for one. And that, that moment was kind of one of those big moments you look back at in life of, of um, where things all change, going to that event. And I, we ended up volunteering at the very next event Tony had to run it um, to, to help, you know, ushering and just very simple things. But, but that moment is what really um, will always stand out. I can imagine. Cindy and I have been friends for a long time and we're colleagues and, you know, we try to work together as best as we can with her schedule. I mean, she's crazy busy, as you know. And every once in a while, we'll go back to her years with Tony Robbins. If I'm not mistaken, I think she was part of his team for 12 or 13 years. And she'll tell me stories that have me choking. I'm laughing so hard. And I'm not going to repeat any of them. She wouldn't repeat any of them. But some of them, I'm like, oh, (laughs) they are so funny. But, you know, that's just when you're with a bunch of people and you're in these kind of events, hysterical things are going to happen. And she's got total recall. (laughs) So I love to talk with her. Okay, did Tony Robbins really, did you guys really stop you know, did you really try to stop him dropping f bombs? Because we tried; it didn't do any good. So that's <laughs> all I needed to know. So, but I love Tony Robbins. I've read everything he's ever written. So, anyway, let's talk about you because it's important, and that leads me to my next question. Called, I mean, you've clearly we've talked about Tony, but who are some of the other people and companies that you've worked with? Yeah, you know, I've been very fortunate. Um, to have worked with some really incredible companies, um, you know, at, at that same time, you know, when we were, I was also working for, for Tony traveling, you know, a few weeks a month, I, I had the opportunity to work with some other local companies uh, here in the, the greater Boston area. And um, I ended up work doing projects for Cirque du Soleil, for Fox, HGTV, True TV. Um, you know, we got to do some really, really neat um, consulting projects. All, all around the country and, and for some really interesting companies um, that, again, just I, I think that all of these experiences at the time seemed very disjointed and, you know, building a set for It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia game show that was going to tour across the country with Danny DeVito and, you know, building technology solutions of, of how to host a game show in, in whatever that was, 2007, um, that, that goes on the road. Um you know, so many of these little projects and, and working for these great companies. Um, it, again, it just, uh, that, that theme keeps coming back of, of always forward. Um, it just, you know, the, the challenges of being a founder and especially of, of pivoting and persevering in these times of, I guess I'll say uncertainty and, and change. Um, all of that just set me up so well for, for right now. No kidding. You know, two years ago when this started, and remember it was going to be three weeks. That's all it was going to take, three weeks. We're going to get it all solved. And so in the first, oh, I don't know, month or so after all this took place, I didn't want to talk with anybody about COVID. It -hmm. didn't seem to me like we were going to be living it forever and ever, amen, which is what it seems like now. And then after a while I had to say, uh, yeah, we need to start adding it into the conversations that we're having. It's not going away, and people are, and this is not my favorite word, I don't like it, pivoting, 
but it was a huge word that everybody was using. I like adapting better, but everybody was, you know, oh my God, we have to pivot. We have to do this, and things changed. You know, think how I operated in within my podcast and my guests changed, and you did too. So let's let's skip ahead a little bit because I mean, you all you saw a terrific need for audience interaction software, but you didn't start there. You started somewhere else. So let's walk down that road, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it was, I guess, just really great luck, or I'd like to claim some genius foresight, but I I love the definition. I think it was the Greek definition of the word genius, if I'm not mistaken, that it's, it's, you're not a genius, it's you have a genius. It's that uh, these ideas are things that float all across the world. And if you're in the right place, the right time, one just kind of smacks you in the side of the head and, and you, it's your job to capture that idea and, and run with it or, or let it go. And maybe someone else will, will catch it. But it was actually December, 2019 before COVID. Um, my co-founder, Matt Murphy and I started working on what would become stage connect um, I had been running a live streaming company, you know, one way, one to many live stream. And Matt came to me and said like, Oh man, we're doing this project. And wouldn't it be cool with, with your live stream platform, if we could see the people who are watching the stream, even if it was just like 10 people, you know, wouldn't that be kind of a, a neat idea? And we started working on it. And then of course, you know, COVID, the, the rumblings of something happening in, in January. And then of course, February and March, um, it was named COVID and things got pretty serious. So, yeah. yeah. And um, so we, we were just very lucky that we had started working on this idea and this concept. And, you know, we, Tony always teaches to ask better questions, right? I mean, not just Tony, but a lot of, uh, a lot of leadership training teaches you to first ask better questions. And, you know, we said, okay, our, our friends are, extended family, I guess we'll call it in the, in the production world. They're all out of work. Our clients are, can't hold events. We're, you know, people were coming to us for help. Um, and we just said, you know, what, what if, what if we could just get a, uh, a whole hotel for free because none of us, you know, had the, had the immediate capital to just go right out and, and spend money in, in the face of this, this unknown, um, situation. So we said, what if we could get a ballroom? What if we could get millions of dollars of equipment to build this virtual event center uh, with just zero costs? And let's just go ask everyone if, if they want to take a chance with us. And, and they did. It was, it was actually really amazing. We, we got a whole Marriott hotel for free for 45 days. We got, I think it was just over $2 million in gear dropped off and set up by, by a local company here in Boston. And, and, you know, the whole thing sat dark for, the full 45 days. I think a couple of local news stations came in and, and had us set as a backup in case they lost power or whatnot, but, or in case they had a, a COVID outbreak there, but, but it was never used. And, you know, we, we iterated again, you know, ask, ask the better question again, you know, were, were we too early? What else could we do? So, you know, that's really where we ended up pivoting to software only uh, and, um, and ending up with the, the product we have today to kind of un, unparalyzed uh, the the industry who just didn't didn't know how to cope with without you know physical butts and physical seats exactly and listen I work with a lot of speakers who are just now saying oh I'm on an airplane oh my goodness 
it's it's just so sad. I mean, a lot of them have tried to, there's that word, pivot, and they found other ways to work with groups, if you will, but it's been a mess. Teachers, in the very beginning when schools were closing down, educators had to find a way to reach their their students. So there's been a lot of change and a lot of innovation. That, mm. And a, there's a lot of it that just has me going, oh my gosh, I wish I had thought, I wish I had the, you know, the wherewithal to do that. But, you know, just looking at some of it is just amazing, you know, how quickly, and with you guys, I mean, you got a, a free hotel, I'm dying to know how you managed that. And then, you know, millions of dollars worth of equipment, who loves you? I mean, you must have <laughs> really good friends. I, uh, I- I'm, I'm not sure. Maybe maybe I just smile too much when I'm asking for things. I don't I don't know. I'm not I'm not that good looking, and I'm not. I, I don't think I'm that persuasive. So I, I really think it was just. Um, I really think it was just people were looking to try anything. I don't want to say it was desperation. I think people the opposite. In fact, I think people were looking for hope. And you know, the hotel we went to when we walked in the front doors, uh, you know, with our masks on, uh, it. it it struck us that the, the general manager of the hotel walked in from the back room. He was doing laundry because he was the only oh, staff member on site. Um, oh. So at, at, at that point, it, it was just a matter of, you know, I think people were looking for some hope, something to grab onto. Um, same thing for this gear company. You know, they had, uh, they had tractor trailer trucks. They had to park in their parking lot because their, their warehouse was so full of gear. Um, they, they, couldn't even un- unload it all. So it was, it was really a matter of, you know, right time, right place. And if you don't ask, you'll, you know, you'll never get a yes. You know, I'm a big believer in saying if you don't ask, first of all, you've wasted the opportunity, but people are going to respond in three ways. Yes, no, or they're just going to ignore you, which is essentially a no. So you have to ask. Now, what are they going to do? Hurt your feelings? Exactly. 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 And, and, you know, I think to, to kind of tie this back into it, so I think the question you asked initially, you know, the problem that we identified was really that, you know, if we want to talk about the pandemic specifically or just, you know, uh, having to, to move to virtual, there's this, this presenter audience feedback loop that, you know, that you and I have running right now. You know, I say something, you can hear the, the cadence of my voice you know, in, in real time, and you can respond back to that. And we feed off each other and, and build off each other to, uh, to create a meaningful interaction or, or transaction of ideas. And when, there's, when it's a one-way connection, it's, it's like running uphill the entire event. You know, I don't, I don't care how great of a presenter you are. If you have no way to, to, to have that feedback loop to get the energy back from the audience, to have them reflect it back to to tailor your um, tailor your speech, tailor the, your delivery, you're, you're just not going to be able to have the same effect. You're not going to be able to have the same depth of, of emotional and and um, the, the transaction of ideas just won't be the same. So that's really exactly. what we're trying to do and, and focus on. Really what we're trying to do and focus on. And see, I completely understand that because I have been doing my podcast for 13 years very early adapter and I've always done it live I've never recorded it I've never edited it or 
audit it. I've never, it's live. Once we're done today, it's going to hit all over the internet and that's it. But when I first started this, and I, I really do understand what you're talking about because when I first started this podcast for 10 years, I just used my phone. And you know why? Because remember when we were kids, a phone would ring, and I don't know if you're, you're the age where there was still that phone hanging in the kitchen with the big long cord. Oh, absolutely. But, <laughs> I think we all did. I don't think it was rotary. It was probably push button. I don't remember. It was yellow. I remember that. It was awful. But I remember whoever got to that phone first clutched that phone closely to their ear and then tried to go into the pantry to get away from all the people who were listening. And I don't know about you, but I remember very clearly being on that phone and almost hunched over because I was listening so intently. And that's the way I like to operate my podcast. It has to be live. It has to have us speaking to one another. And I'm not going to mess with it after that. So I get it. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, it, it's, it's the great need for human connection. And, and when, that, when, when that breaks down on a global scale, that's, you know, it, it creates a big challenge for, for many, many industries. Okay, so once you, I have to know what happened with the, the ballroom, I guess, and all of that equipment, you said it sat dark for 45 days. What was the next step after that? I mean, I, I understand that you were saying, okay, we can make this, you know, into a, a different kind of a product, but what happened during and right after that 45 days? Yeah, well, I think the idea, the idea itself was really valid. We were just just too early in our execution, people didn't have the confidence to, to, to really just spend their budget they had allotted for the year um, that early in the pandemic. So we, we had some great photos from it. We learned a, a lot of great lessons and how to set things up and what software could, uh, could leverage instead of hardware. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm sure that there's a bunch of different, uh, different solutions that, that came out early, you know, Zoom can handle 300 people or up to a thousand really in in a single Zoom room. And when you get when you get over that size for live events, you have to start combining multiple Zoom rooms. That's kind of the only solution if you want to see your audience in in real time in two directions. But it, it gets very complicated to to manage. You know, five, ten. Some events that that we've consulted on have have had well over 100 or 200 individual Zoom rooms. Um, some of those events needing a, a specific laptop per Zoom rooms or, or, or computers. Oh, so you can picture, picture just a, li- a literal warehouse full of computers that, that a team of 10 or 20 people are managing for just so that a speaker on stage can see, you know, can see and interact with the audience. That was the, the, the solution that, that ran in the forefront for the, for the summer, um, for um, you know, May, June, July. And, you know, having built the studio, having consulted on some of these projects, we understood that that's just not, that's just not tenable. It's not, um, it's not viable for the 99% of people who are running events out there. Um, you know, it, it could cost upwards of half a million dollars to do something like that um, versus, uh, you know, versus some software and, and two computers was our vision. So, we got to work and, and we were very lucky to, to find some really, really wonderful uh, investors uh, here in the New England area. Um, so we, we took what we learned and, and we went and we raised some money and, and, and started building some, 
building software that that became Stage Connect, and um, yeah, that's that's kind of that that studio was was kind of the proof the proof that we needed that while this is the right way, which is virtual events and to connect people, but but that it proved there was nothing in the market that could truly repair that human connection feedback loop to the extent that we felt was necessary and that we felt the presenters, musicians, teachers, trainers, you know, all of those industries out there that rely on that, that live interaction for the communication of ideas that there just didn't, that product didn't exist. So, so yeah, we, we parlayed that into, into rocket fuel for, for our idea. Rocket fuel, I loved it. And listen, there came a point we all had Zoom fatigue. I still do. I still kind of go, bleh, when somebody says, jump on a Zoom call with me. Oh, my gosh, do I have to? And I get whiny. I really do. I don't want it. But and if I'm, if I'm remembering this correctly, not too far before the pandemic came along, Zoom was experiencing trouble. In fact, I'm not entirely sure that they weren't getting ready to go bankrupt, or maybe I'm imagining that, but I know that they were in trouble. And then all of a sudden, you know, here comes the pandemic, and Zoom is the only place you can go. So they had to kind of step up. But my my big thing with all of that was what if Zoom fails? What if something happens? I mean, you're really at their you know, you're in their lap. If, if something goes wrong, there's nothing you can do. Yeah, I, I think, don't quote me in these numbers, but I believe they are experiencing 300 to 400% growth um, quarter over quarter. Right. Um, they mean, fixed whatever the issue was. I remember that. Yeah, I mean, the, the wonderful thing about this is what's happening right now are – our internet firsts, our humanities firsts, you know, Zoom connecting people on that scale is something that was never, never done before on the internet. Right. I mean, to, to go from, I think they had 90 million a- active subscribers to, I, I believe they're well over 300 million globally now. Um, to see that size in, in user, in a user base uh, in that short amount of time is just um, I, I kind of have to tip my hats to their engineering and DevOps team that they were Absolutely. able to, to, to do that. So I think we're all very thankful to them, and I think that they're great for meetings. Um, but um, They are, but the ones that you were describing where they had to have, you know, 10 of these going at yeah. once, I, I shuddered. I just went, oh, geez, the logistics of that have got to be just horrifying. But your company doesn't do it that way. So let's talk about what it is you do that's different from Zoom. Yeah, so you know we, you know we still have two-way video as Zoom does, and we have grids of people as as Zoom does. But the the core differences kind of rely in, or, or the core differences lie in the our underlying uh, and and kind of driving ethos where we're not building meeting software, we're building event software for event professionals. So everything down to how the event is set up, the the level of control. Um, and the different, you know, little, the little features, the, the, the details of, of how you connect and, and how you're able to control, you know, what people's names are, how they're displayed, how they're grouped, sorted, um, being able to, you know, instantly just show the people from the West Coast sales team, for example, you know, all these little things that, that I'm sure Zoom could do, but it's, it's just not their core focus. So 
our product just through kind of everything from Zoom and Google Meet and every one of these other, you know, really wonderful platforms kind of to the side. And, and Matt, uh, Matt being a, an Emmy award-winning producer, uh, you know, he has a lot of experience in these, you know, in producing really high quality, really technically, uh, technically advanced events. So, so he and I sat down and uh, Chris Hogan, our, our VP of growth joined us as well, who he's had some incredible experience with, uh, with Wowza and Facebook Live and Vimeo Live and, and some other really fantastic companies. So we all just kind of sat down and, and put our heads together to say, like, let's not think about what what already is, but how would we design this for the event industry and event professionals? So so that's really where we landed, that we we put remote audiences on stage. You know, we our, our motto is the 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 front row the, we're better than the front row because you can't, you know, immediately be on stage and then be backstage in the green room with a VIP ticket. And instantly, you know, if you're sitting in the back of the room, there's such a you know small chance that you're going to get called on when you raise your hand because maybe you showed up a few minutes late or your, your ticket wasn't the diamond premier exclusive front row ticket. So, you know, we we're looking to bring professionalism, um, highly advanced, features that, that event professionals need, but, but also through that lens of equity to make sure that everyone at the event has, you know, has an equal opportunity to, to interact with the event. And see, there are people like me, and I'll just tell you right now, I'm a highly functioning introvert. I don't do events. You know, if people, if I get crowded, I panic. I have to get out of there. It's just I am not a person that wants to be in an event. But what you're talking about, I would watch that all day long. Yeah, you know, th- this has been um it- it's been interesting talking um talking to chief marketing officers and event directors before COVID, you know, trying to explain the benefits of a live stream to to decision makers um before the pandemic where they treated live stream as a kind of a second class ticket because I think it, it honestly was, and, and probably still is a, a one way stream is, is not as good as being in person. You, you don't have that feedback loop. So it was always treated as this, Oh, if people can't make it, Oh yeah, I guess we'll sell live stream. Um, but when we have what we call virtual interactive tickets that we actually feel it, it almost in some cases, it actually does make, make in-person tickets second class or, at least not not first class anymore, because um, there's it, it's a it's a different audience, it's a different segment. You're either someone who wants to sit at home on a Friday and watch Netflix with your significant other, or you know stay at home and do a hobby, or you know whatever it is, or you're the person that wants to go to the movies, go to a bar, go to a, a fine restaurant. Um, but you know th- those are typically not the same person who who that's what they would prefer, and that was something that I think now. Um, a lot of organizations are realizing that it's just there was this whole untapped market segment that is now um, now ready to buy buy access to the to events and concerts and all kinds of things. Do you do you wonder, Cole, if you know a lot of people? And slightly different, but it popped into my head. You know, a lot of people working from home, they don't want to go back to the office now. Some companies are having to bribe or threaten their people to go back to the the office, and people think, uh-uh, I don't want to. Are you finding that these are the people, in some degree, these are the people who said, look, I have just found that I don't have to live in New York City and pay 
you know, $5,000 for a studio, I can live in one of the outer boroughs, have a much nicer house, and work from home. Are you finding that this is kind of an attitude that you're, you're reaching with people? They're like, just show me what I need to know. Get me there, get me that front row ticket, and I'm happy. I don't need to actually be there. Is it kind of a mindset that you're coming across now? Yeah, I, I think it definitely it definitely is. I mean, you know, I live in New Hampshire, uh, about 45 minutes north of Boston here, and the stats that I heard last year were over 55% of new homes sold in our state were were for out of state uh, residents, which I think the, I think before this was around 15% in 2019. So, you know, I think that that's definitely the case. We're, we're definitely seeing a lot of remote attendance from from people's homes. You know, we don't have a lot of people calling in from offices, and you know we made the decision as a company when we started to be a fully remote company as well. So you know we have uh, 14 employees from four countries around the world, and um, you know I have an office here just for myself, and we have uh, one in uh, Denver and then one in Florida. And, but it, that's just each trip for Matt and for Chris, really. So, uh, you know, we're, we're all doing the same thing and we're all, you know, using kind of eating our own dog food, so to speak. And I, I mean, we're all, um, I would say just as I think a lot of other reports have noted, you know, I think that we're seeing probably that 10 to 20% increase in productivity. Um, and, you know, we're looking forward to seeing how we can push that into events and concerts and other things or, or push it even further than it is, um, you know, as, as the product grows, as, as the technological capability grows, I think those are all things that, that we want to um, understand and, and embrace. How can someone at home get, reach that same level of, of connectedness? And um, it's almost like event magic is what I call it from, you know, from their house. Event magic, I like that. So can you kind of walk us through, I mean, you've been doing this for a little while now, well, a good while. What are some of the the moments when you were creating one of these events or had one going and you just went, oh, geez, now what? I know you've had those moments. We all have them. So do you feel like kind of ratting yourself out a little bit? I, I'm not sure I completely understand. Uh, uh, and uh, a moment in, in an event that, that was a challenge? Yeah, because yeah, things will always go sideways, always. So were there any really funny moments during <laughs> an event or a moment where you just looked at your teammates and said, oh, we're screwed? Because I've done that. <laughs> We've all done that. We had a really wonderful event. Um, time all kind of blends together. It was either last winter or this spring. I, it was sometime about – uh, 10 months ago, I'll say 10, 11 months ago. And we were doing an event and the speaker on stage was, was in the middle of a really uh, intense part of a training. And all, he just stops and looks at, at one of the, the, the grid slots there where this participant should have been, this woman should have been. But instead there was a, a little six-year-old in a bright yellow shirt who was sitting there with his kind of his head in his hand, staring at the screen like he was at school, and and the the speaker stopped the whole event and and just started asking him, you know, how he was enjoying the I think it was a, a real estate convention, you know, how he was enjoying his real estate job, and it, it was just one of the most um, 
genuine and wonderful interactions that I've, I've seen in, in so long. And it reminds me of, of that event magic of when someone was, you know, doing something funny in the audience or, you know, it's a very tense moment and someone gets up to go, you know, to leave the room and the, maybe the speaker calls them up from stage, like, Oh, where's this guy going? Or just those moments that can only happen from noticing something in the crowd, calling it out, engaging with that person and, and kind of wrapping the whole crowd back up into the moment. So it, that was a, really one of the first big times where I felt that event magic, but it, there was no one in the room. There was 11 event technicians in the room and it was all led screens besides that so it that was kind of that that moment of like oh man it is possible and and there it is you've got that interaction i mean you've and the fact that he stopped and you know said hey buddy you know how are you doing there i love that because it does give you those moments those very real moments where just like you would do if you were standing in front of a crowd and a you know yellow-clad toddler or <laughs> young boy popped up and said, hey, talk to me. I think that's lovely. So, And I, I get what you say about event magic. That makes perfect sense. It definitely helped that he had the the kids say the darndest things vibe going, too. He was a pretty <laughs> pretty funny, witty five-year-old. Um, and, and I think this is probably a great time to just to mention that the ethos of our company, the the, the I don't know if our slogan, but the, the driving idea behind us, behind what, what I've done from my last company as well as Stage Connect, I've kind of pulled this along with me, is to free ideas from the constraint of location. That's, that's really what we strive to do, and, and we do that by repairing the human connection feedback loop. So, um, yeah, I just that's, that's everything we're doing is centered around that. And so you have said that before, and I've written it. I have written it down. Repairing that connection. How did you come up with that? Because that, that is what you're doing, and I fully understand it. After talking with you, but it, when I first read it, I remember thinking, "What does he mean by that? And where yeah, did it come yeah. from?" It was a feeling that 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 uh, Matt and, and Chris and myself all had, and we're having, I guess, probably having a trouble verbalizing or really boiling down into that simple statement. You know, we were working on the product and working on demos and prototypes and all this, all this fun technical stuff. And at every time we went to explain it to a potential investor, friend, colleague, client, we were always kind of stuck. And I think it was Chris that eventually said like, no man, it's just the, <laughs> it's the, it's the human connection feedback loop that's broken. And we all just kind of stopped and was like, that's, that's it. Um, so it, it was, it was just from that moment on that, you know, we, we probably spent a week or two, maybe more, maybe a month really searching and, and trying to phrase it. But, um, but no, it was, it was Chris that just kind of, it just came to him in a, in a moment, I think. And see, now that you've explained it, I get it. But at first I was like, well, yeah, I guess in an intellectual kind of a way that makes sense but listening to you it really makes sense and you're right without that human connection without that little boy in the yellow shirt you're basically just somebody standing on a stage with a microphone and hoping for the best and nobody wants that very true nobody wants that so what else do you have going on? I mean, this is a fairly new company, so do you have anything else planned? Or let me back that one up a bit. Because you're 
you have been building this and you're finding out all kinds of different ways that you can help the audience, help that reconnection with the audience and help your, your clients. What have been some of your biggest takeaways in terms of, oh, we should be doing this or, uh, yeah, maybe that's not working so well. Yeah, that's a, that's a really great question. Um, you know, I think the, the majority of what we're learning and, and what we're trying to implement is, is really all down to, you know, how do we, I, we, we try and ask ourselves every day, what, what goes on in a human interaction and, and then how can we translate that? So, I mean, there's a, um, Oh, the word escapes me, uh, the micro, micro expressions. You know, the micro expressions that you make when you hear an idea, the little shift in the, your, your shift in the chair, um, the, you know, when someone says something funny, the laughs in the audience or something that's awkward, the groans in the audience, you know, how do we translate those things um, live in real time to a speaker? How can we use, and, and just, uh, you know, I, I admit this is something that we're, you know, we, we try and walk a very fine, I don't want to say ethical, but, you know, we all have very strong morals here. You know, we are a tech company, but, but you know, we, we really strongly respect privacy and, and everything around privacy. So uh, something that's very interesting and something we see a lot of potential in is, can, you know, what kind of AI and machine learning and machine vision can we use to to connect and shorten the uh, the recognition time or the um, the time from when an audience laughs or smiles or, or or has that aha moment, can we use technology to enhance the the signaling to whoever's presenting? Um, so you know that's that's what we see is really interesting right now and, and that we're really looking forward to. Um, you know, being able to understand, hey, this audience didn't understand this, and being able to, to let the speaker know so that they can kind of you know, do a recap or, or re-explain or, or reframe what they've said, just as they would because they're getting blank stares from the audience, or, you know, they see a few people get up and walk out of the room, you know, whatever it is. Right. Yeah, we, we want to we bring that back um, virtually. And see, while you were talking, I kept thinking laugh tracks. Those annoy me. They really do. (laughs) I know it's supposed to, you know, it's funny, laugh. I was like, no, I'm not gonna. (laughs) Yeah, that's pretty interesting. So how are you doing with that? So is it in play now or is it something that you're still strategizing about and working? It's something that that we still have, I'll say, in, in the lab. That there's a, there's some really wonderful university projects we've seen come out that that have done some incredible um, machine vision uh, applications that, that can understand uh, emotions and, and pick up um, different audio cues. So yeah, there's a lot of stuff that that we're testing out right now and, and looking at that that we think is interesting. Um, I can't say that it'll be a core part of our product anytime soon, but it, it's definitely the thing that we see as as really interesting um, on the horizon. But you know, even even without any of that, it, like I said, that we've just been so um, so happy, so humble. I, I don't know. Just 
it, it, it is, it's really, really amazing to watch our product be, be deployed and see those, those magic moments, like I said, with the, with the kid in the little yellow shirt, that, that that's possible. Um, so I think so if, we, if we wanted to talk about some interesting use cases, um, you know, a lot of, uh, we have a show coming up for some continuing education training for, for healthcare workers as a great example. Um, you know, I think that while Tony Robbins uh, conferences and concerts and these big flashy and, and energetic events would seem like the best use case. And I think they're amazing use cases. I think there's a lot of other elements like education and, and continuing education or certification trainings that have maybe been overlooked in, in their industry because they don't get the same importance because they're not as flashy. But I think it's just as, or if not maybe more important to make sure that that human connection feedback loop is is strong there because we're training the nurses of the future and the, you know, any industry that requires continuing education should have the highest quality training experience. Um, you know, I think that can really build, uh, build better people and help people improve. So that's, that's kind of one of my, one of my passion market segments is, is really the, the, the training and, and continuing education. And, um, you know, it's interesting that you should say that because I was on a conference call, Zoom, uh, yesterday with a potential client, and I'm not going to say who they were, but I mentioned your company because they are a 130-year-old UK nonprofit, and their patron is the queen. So they know what they're doing. They've been doing this for a while, but they've got a lot of education processes that they're working on, and it's not really working out all that well. Let me rephrase that. It's working out fine in the U.K. It's probably not going to do so well in the United States. So I mentioned you, so don't be surprised if you get a phone call from the U.K. I'll see what I can do to to make that work. Excellent. They were talking about all these different trainings that they have, and I went, I know who you need to speak with. So anyway, there's that. But one of the things that I wanted to ask, and you were talking about the because education is so important, and I agree with you. Tony Robbins is Tony Robbins, and anybody that can, you know, get to be part of that, whether it's virtual or whether it's live, which I would never be able to do. I've been invited, but crowds, oh, God, no. But then you're right, education, whether it's dog training or nursing or you're talking to a six-year-old who has just got this terrific, you know, frame of mind. I think education is probably going to be one of the most important things that you guys wind up doing. I'm just guessing, but I'm hoping that education is going to really kind of pay attention to you. We, yeah, we've definitely um, we, we've definitely had some large players in the education and in uh, corporate space also give us that uh, that insight from some of the larger tech tech companies out there. Um, so that's some, something we're very, very interested in and it, not quite in the same vein, but, but, you know, looking at other uh, maybe hidden benefits or, or hidden opportunities in this kind of technology, you know, uh, the other, my other big kind of passion uh, channel in, in what we're doing is uh, uh, I guess I'll call it the green initiative. So taking a look at, 
what's the carbon footprint of flying 2,000 miles to stay in a hotel and, and then go to a convention center? And while you know, I, I do love going to live events, and I think that we should continue to, to go to them where possible, I think that uh, there, there is um, there's a lot of interesting work that could be done and, and where we are doing to look at what kind of carbon credits could be issued by having a oh, certain yeah. percentage of your attendance um, virtual. You know, how could that truly impact the world? You know, I don't want to put hotels and convention centers out of business by any means. I think that, you know, hybrid events, um, we call them hybrid events now, but I think next year they'll just be called events. I, I don't think that word is going to be, be used anymore. It'll just, just be called an event. Um, but I think those people that aren't, that aren't attending in person are doing a really great service for the environment. Um, and, and I'd love to see more work done. You know, we, we have a lot in our plate right now, and we're making some slow progress on it. Um, so I, I would love whether we end up doing it or someone else, I just think it would be a really incredible, um, a really incredible thing to have virtual attendance to events, um, counted as, as carbon credits. Uh, and I didn't even think about that, but going back to the, the hotel, so if you can have these events, could you kind of have a ballroom or a convention room or whatever it's going to be and have one of these events by having people locally say, hey, we're going to be doing this. It's going to be virtual, but it's not. You know, meet us in this, you know, here's a ticket, come to this ballroom. Is that kind of what you're thinking about? Absolutely. Yeah, I think if, you know, whether it's a, a public event where people are traveling from around the world to get there and and they just, um, you know, maybe focus their efforting uh, their marketing efforts with a kind of a geofence, like let's just say within a hundred right. miles or 50 miles, they, they, they really intensely focus their marketing for in-person tickets. And outside of that, they focus on, on the virtual. And, you know, I think that could do a lot of good for a, a lot of, a, a lot of different things for the environment. Um, and there's, you know, there's also the idea that, um, Oh, no, I completely lost my train of thought there. Had a notification pop up. Um, but the, uh, the idea that, uh, oh, that, that's what it was. Um, speaking of, you know, of, of traveling and not being able to, to get somewhere, you know, local people, just because there's a really great, uh, I don't even know, let's say, um, manufacturing, uh, training resource that's in Arizona. And, and maybe there's someone in Germany who doesn't have the resources to come attend these wonderful training lectures in, in Arizona, you know, there, there's nothing that should stop that idea and that training and that knowledge from being locked away in Arizona from physical attendance or, or from a low quality, you know, live stream experience. So I think that whether it's for a green initiative or just from a, you know, increasing the world's collective knowledge, I think that, um, I think we'll probably see a shift to that, that, uh, geography based ticket type. Or, or, you know, geofence ticket types so that if you visit the website within range, you just get offered an in-person ticket. And if you visit outside of whatever range is identified as ideal, that you're pushed to um, hopefully a Stage Connect ticket. Uh, oh, I like that idea. And listen, right now the prices of everything are just insane. People can't, well, you know, we're two weeks from Thanksgiving. People are worried, can they even source a, a turkey? 
And yet gas is insane. I don't even want to know what fuel for airplanes costs right now. I can't even imagine. There's a lot of worry about just the sheer expense, the cost of just being somewhere, you know, whatever kind of ticket you've got. Can you even afford to drive there anymore? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's it's basically free to attend an event, you know, after the ticket price. Um, so it's uh, again that that equity piece of of really opening up to uh, you know access to anyone around the globe just kind of kind of warms warms our heart a little bit. No kidding. And this is going to sound this is a completely uneducated question. So bear with me if I just sound like a moron here. But you know, one of the things that when I sign up on a webinar. Most times I don't want to be on the webinar or whatever kind of event it is. I want the replay. Is can, do you guys do replays? Do your your participants want replays? Do your you know events? How does that is that something that's even doable? Yeah, you know the the beautiful thing about about doing uh, virtual events is that um, it, it gives you a lot of options and flexibility. So whether it's recording. You know, we always suggest that our clients record the event on site if they have a, you know, their physical stage, because all that's going to be the best, most high quality footage. And that would be great to, to use for replay or repurposing. But for, you know, immediate replay, yeah, everything just gets stored in the cloud and, and people can, um, if the client chooses, can repost that immediately for, um, for reviewing or even you know, you can get really creative and, and do almost like a rebroadcast or, you know, what they used to call back in the day, live from tape, where, you know, they rebroadcast all the content and there's still a um, much smaller, maybe one or two person crew that's cutting in the live people into a, uh, um, into a recorded broadcast. So obviously they can't ask questions, but they can see the other people who are watching this recording with them, which is, is almost like a hybrid uh, replay live scenario. So we've seen that be really effective because people still want to know that other people are there and, and watching with them um, or even, you know, have the access to ask questions to their fellow audience members and, and generate some community. Although they can't ask the presenter those questions, they can, you know, they can at least connect in community. So yeah, there's, there's a lot of different options for, for replay there. You guys aren't leaving anything to chance. That is our job. <laughs> the, the the job of any good production uh, technician or, or production designer is um, reduce risk and enhance flexibility. This is amazing. I'm, I have been so fascinated by everything that you're telling me, and I really appreciate you coming. We've got about three more minutes. Is there anything else that you want the audience to know that I didn't think to ask? What a great question. Um, I don't think so. Just that we're we're very excited to have launched Stage Connect. Um, you know, we're incredibly thankful to have built a company in the you know in the middle of the I don't know the only pandemic of our generation, but one of the you know one of the hardest economical times. We're just very thankful um, and uh, and very excited to see uh, what we can help our, our our clients do. That's yeah. We're 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 just here to do the work every day. And, and that's it. 
Well, it sounds to me like you've got three brilliant people who are passionately interested in just about everything around them, and you're constantly doing your homework, trying to better your product, make sure that everybody, presenters and audience, get what they need. And I really like what you said about, you know, you're watching work that's coming out of universities and AI. I mean, you're not just kind of resting on your laurels. You're constantly looking to to make things better for the world. Someone once told me when I was founding um, my previous company, uh, my, my previous live streaming company, they said, I believe the it wasn't super positive, but I took it to be that way. He said, uh, well, that's cool, kid. Uh, you're looking at how to live stream from, you know, one country to another, you know, to build great companies. You should be thinking about how to live stream from the moon to Mars. And I really, I really took that. Um, it was a no for what I was asking for, but that answer he, he gave me was, um, was something that I'll never forget. So, um, I don't know how we're going to have two-way communication between the moon and Mars just yet, but we're working on it. Oh, it'll happen. I mean, every listen, <laughs> when I was a kid, we had, you know, we had to go to the kitchen to make a phone call. We didn't have caller ID, and now everything is just happening so quickly, and people like you are finding ways to make it, and God bless you for that. So it'll happen. And I love the fact that he was saying, well, no, it's a no, but, you know, think bigger. That's kind of what I took from it. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Well, listen, Cole, where can people find you? Uh, they can check us out at stageconnect.co. Um, and I think that's all our um, – most of our LinkedIn's and Instagram's uh, are all just at, uh, at stageconnect and my – uh, my Twitter is Cole underscore Morgan, C-O-L-E underscore Morgan. Great. Cole, thank you for being here. And I'm so glad Cindy introduced us because this has been a fascinating conversation, at least when you're talking. When I'm talking, it probably sounds like, does she even know what she's talking about there? But you know, No, this I is wonderful. <laughs> you know, thank really you very don't. much for having me. Well, and this is why I like to do these things live because I get to, you know, pick up even on verbal micro expressions if you will and I get to hear you and listen to you and then, and then my brain starts chasing itself around going oh, ooh and sometimes I make sense when it comes out from my brain to my mouth sometimes it doesn't but I think it's been a wonderful conversation and I really thank you for all of the the tips and the advice and you know just your your story that you have shared with our audience so before we 19. Got 90 seconds. So before we say goodbye, I would like to remind our audience to be sure to look for us on iTunes and honestly anywhere else you consume your business podcasts. Just look for your partner in Success Radio and take us along on your success journey. Cole, thank you again. Thank you. Get your voice heard. If you would like to launch your own far-reaching podcast, Contact Denise Griffiths at yourofficeontheweb.com and go to the podcast tab. 